0: who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to The Progress Theory, where we discuss how to implement scientific principles for optimizing human performance. I am Dr. Phil Price, and on today's episode, we're joined by GB Power Powerlifting High Performance Coach Ben Richens. Paralympic powerlifting is a little bit different to traditional powerlifting in that it focuses on one movement, that is the bench press. It's a sport that's growing in popularity, and we've got a strong contingent heading to the Tokyo Paralympic Games, all of which are coached by Ben Richens. However, despite its growing popularity, there are still many that are unfamiliar with the sport. In this episode, Ben takes us through the differences in programming and coaching for Paralympic powerlifting in comparison to traditional powerlifting, the common mistakes people make when programming, and if you want to get involved with the sport, how to do it. As always, follow and subscribe to The Progress Theory on Instagram, YouTube, and your podcast app. Here is Ben Richens. Ben, welcome to The Progress Theory.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. How
0: is isolation?
1: It's tough. It, <laughs> I, ran out, I actually ran out of things to do like two hours in. We, we got here Thursday and yeah, I'm so bored. I've gone through it took you all two of hours.
0: YouTube.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and we've, got, we've got food in the hotel, but it's, it's not the best. So I'm just going through delivery. I'm going every different restaurant and just snacking. It's, it's, it's great, but not for my bank balance.
0: Yeah. Well, at least you're, you're a powerlifter. You know, the increase in calories won't mind too much.
1: The thing is, I'm right at the top of my weight class.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so it's the complete opposite then. Yeah, Ignore yeah, yeah. what I just said. <laughs> Anyways, before we get to know you a little bit more, why are you in isolation?
1: So we've, we as a, a Great Britain team, power, powerlifting side, we've gone out to Dubai. So that was the last qualifying competition before the Tokyo Paralympics. Unfortunately, Dubai's on the red list. So we've gone out, done our job, and we've been whisked straight into a 10-day quarantine. Oh. It, it was great out there, but less great to come back into quarantine. My my wife thinks that even more than me, <laughs> to be honest.
0: Yeah, I bet. And you've completed YouTube already.
1: Yeah, I've just gone through all sorts of weird rabbit holes. That wasn't expectant, but uh, good, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, let's know a little bit more about yourself. Like, what got you into coaching with the GB Paralympic powerlifting team or actually maybe go a little bit further back like when did we first meet and the journey which led to mm. that
1: oh right well, i guess if i'm going all the way back i started started coaching about 23 years ago that was in a wine say old school gym um
0: old school yeah
1: yeah yeah and and through the sort of years leading up to to st mary's i think it was 2007 i had many sort of coaching and gym jobs um really working with different different types of people, talking and interacting with different uh, types of people in different countries as well. So that sort of led me up to to working at the university about sort of 2006 or so, where I first got interested in strength and conditioning. I worked there for a bit and all the sort of job roles which um, I was looking at really needed a degree. I didn't have one. I spent my early 20s enjoying myself far too much outside of uni. So I thought the sensible thing to do was was go back as a mature student and choose strength and conditioning as a as a degree. So that's, that led me to St Mary's. I think at the time it's the only university doing that. And that's where I met yourself and a few other fine practitioners. The good days. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the uh, remember them fondly. I, I, I do. I mean, because at the time when I first started uni, I was lit- living in North London. So I look back at it now, where I get on the tube, have a like a, a two and a half hour journey to Southwest London each day, uh, do classes, coach a bit at, at the end of the day, and then come back, and it's like a fourteen, fifteen hour day or something. By by all things told, and wow. But they, they were cool days though. You, you know when you just. um you look back at stuff and the, the your real formative years. But yeah, they're long days, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. Great to reflect on, aren't they? The like hard graft you had to put in. Like at the time it's like really frustrating, but you look back with a certain fondness because you know how it shaped you today.
1: Yeah, I, I think what I mean, I was talking a bit about that my, my early years as working in gyms. Working with in those sort of environments with, with different types of people and, and and people coming from different backgrounds, cultures, and all that, I, I look back at it now and it really shapes the way that I can hopefully communicate to to different people uh, from different situations and, and experience and all that. So I guess I, I, I look back at that and go, that's a really really valuable experience to shape me as a coach and and something which I, I guess I'd I'd suggest other coaches, young coaches, do is like. Just give yourself these wide experiences where you get to talk to and interact with loads of different people because it just gets you better at communication
0: yeah and that's the I really think that's the key with early development. Just try as many new experiences as, as possible, and you don't really see the relevance of it at the time, but when you look back you really like oh i I learned certain skills there that I just suddenly applied without realizing
1: yeah I, I think it just helps helps sharpen your your vision of what you really want to get involved with and maybe not and if you're only involved I don't know coaching in one sport you really do get uh, a somewhat narrow focus which could totally work with some people but maybe not with others and it's something which I, I've really cherished where I just got involved with lots of different sports especially in, in, in that St Mary's time which I, I thought was really beneficial.
0: So what made you eventually narrow down towards powerlifting and then Paralympic powerlifting
1: so it wasn't a plan at all I did like weightlifting when I was at St Mary's when I came to St Mary's I was still running and uh, that was my plan I was going to get involved in 800 meter running again but the weather was horrible (laughs) and I really (laughs) at the end of like this massive day in lectures I really didn't want to go back on a track and just run around it again so the the next best best thing was was this weightlifting team, um, which, you know, we got involved with in, yourself, Rob Anderson, uh, Adam Spence, all these guys, we we seem to sort of find each other at the right time and, and we just started lifting together. So part of the reason was a bit of laziness from my my side and just finding a common, common thing that we all like to do. Going into finding actually powerlifting, again, you look back on it and it's like, it's so weird how it all worked out. I was going into um, going into my third year, the sort of the year where you're you're going. I'm going to have to find a job now. This is a little bit frightening mm. because 28, 29 years old. I need to pay the bills, and so through that sort of third year, I was. I, I think it was over the the course of four months before I graduated. I went for about six or seven jobs in the EIS and a, like a tennis academy and all these different things. I think badminton as well and I just didn't get any (laughs) I was just I made like the final final cut for some and it was between me and maybe another person and that person would always get it and I remember just feeling like pretty dejected about it because there'd been like six or seven refusals on the trot like sorry not not quite there and um this job that I went for was it was actually a Talent ID side, so a little bit out of the S and C specialism, but I thought I'd just go for it and see what it brings. And, and a job's a job in high performance sport; you can't turn your nose up on that. So let me go for that. Went through the, the EIS, the English Institute of Sport process, which is quite involved and quite deep. Got down to the final two, yet again, didn't get the job, yet, yet again. And I just remember going, ah, you know what? I don't don't know what I'm going to do. But then I got then I got a phone call from the person was doing the interview and she said uh you know i thought you were really really good in this interview i think you should keep going and I, 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 she wanted to um suggest i go for another job opportunity which came up which was with british weightlifting and it was to power powerlifting which i'd seen before anyway but basically i'd I had this sort of nervousness of, of going for it. But since she, she was involved with that programme and she suggested that I should go for it, I went for it, I did the interview. Thankfully, I, I got the job. And that's sort of the position that sort of morphed into to different things over the years. But I'm now sort of lead, lead performance coach in power powerlifting. So I guess that's, that's where I am now.
0: For those that are a bit unfamiliar with the sport, what's, what are the key differences between powerlifting and power powerlifting
1: they're definitely more similar than they are different i, I sort of characterize power powerlifting as well as powerlifting as a, as a sport of strength technique and strategy obviously strength se- says for itself you you need to test near your physical capabilities how you can get a barbell to arm's length or, or if you squat it or deadlift it how you complete the movement obviously technique's important and one of the, the key thing, key differences in in power powerlifting is the the standard the lift the bench press is refereed is is could be said to be somewhat stricter okay. than three lift powerlifting so what the the referees are looking for execution wise is they're looking for really good control on the way down a really motionless pause on the chest and really good equal pressing to, to lock it out. Whereas in, in powerlifting, you can press it unequally to get it to arm's length. There might be a little bit of a, a bubble on the chest as long as it's paused. That's fine. I guess the other main difference that you can see when people compete in it is in power powerlifting, you're lying down with your feet stretched out on a wider bed. Apart from that, things like changes in, in weight increases, power powerlifting's a lot like weightlifting where you you'd have one kilo increments versus powerlifting you'd have two and a half kilo increments in in the weight you can select. And probably the the most stressful thing for me anyway personally is in in power powerlifting, there's a lot more involvement in field of play. So for example, in powerlifting, the referees would call all of all of the actions. So they tell you when to start, when to come up and when you can finish and, and put it back. In power powerlifting, the coach or the lifter self-selects their pause quality. So, for example, the referee would tell you when to start. I would then call the pause on the chest, so I'd shout drive or, or press, and the referee would then call, call back. So, I mean, one of my remaining fears is basically I'm going to bodge the job up, job up in the competition. I'd either forget about it, squeal in a high voice of a press, or, you know, a- any connotation of, embarrassing things which could happen or which might deem the athlete not to get a lift. But I guess those are the Mm. the main differences.
0: So it's the athlete themselves are telling the referee when they're and how they are pausing and pressing.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. So in the rules of powerlifting and power powerlifting, you have to have this motionless length of time where the bar's stopped on your chest and it goes. In, In powerlifting, the referee would tell you when that is. In power powerlifting either the coach will give a signal when that is or the athlete will choose it, but that athlete or coach could get the decision wrong, could get that length of time wrong, which would then deem the um, the ref to say it's it's not a lift. So a bit more pressure on us, basically.
0: Yeah. Is there a certain amount of time it has to be paused for? So it's almost like the pause is being timed, and if it's under that time...
1: So interesting enough, no, right now, no. I don't know if you've seen... Um, the, the rules say it has to be motionless for uh, a period of time. They don't say, well, that that, that period of time uh, is a noticeable amount of time, but it's it's motionless. But interesting enough, actually, we, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but Alikio have come out with some accelerometers, which can be placed in bars. And uh, with the bar tech and, and how I've seen it is there could be some uh, some things which, which go into that, which standardise pause lengths. Uh, to the referees, I think in the future. So maybe, that and, and that's also the case in weightlifting as well. They've got it in some of their weightlifting bars in the near future. So uh, that's quite an interesting topic to see the integration of sports technology within the rules of of sport. Um, but yeah, be be interesting.
0: Yeah, it sounds really interesting. You've had a lot of success with the GB power powerlifting team. What's been your greatest accomplishment over the, like the last few years? You now follow you on social media. And you're often jetting around the world. And every time that you go away, there's always reports of like gold medals and a really good team camaraderie uh, in that sport. So I want to know a bit more about yourself as a coach, but you know, how you work with the team.
1: There's, there's two dividing things on me, right? So I'm going to not answer the question in one bit, and, <laughs> but then answer the question in another bit, right? But I was thinking about prior experiences outside of the sport as well. Just the difference of, Accomplishments, a level of accomplishment versus level of fulfilment in sport, and and uh, just looking on on previous experiences and work, there's been a quite quite big difference for me personally in when I've worked in maybe higher status teams, like I worked in a football academy, I co-owned a gym, and and all those those could be said to be quite high accomplishments. Didn't really give me much fulfilment at the end of the day and I was thinking like why is that what why why didn't I get as much fulfillment as as I do in this job right now and it was like uh, I was thinking about especially in the football academy I was like this lack of uh, uh, or what I felt to be a lack of creativity growth in the sport this, this, this how I could express myself this sort of sense of belonging in this job which I, I felt really wasn't maybe present as much is the prior examples, but were much more in my current situation and some other other situations which I've, I've found myself in. So I guess there definitely have been some roles which I really regard highly like this well, which I did with uh, GB Women's Under-23 in Ultimate Frisbee, which is, is an awesome sport. Like, I really had the ability as a coach to express myself, be confident in the ways... I was working, feel, felt like I could express myself and grow with the team and and really felt like what I was doing was making an impact. And, and I really, really had high fulfillment versus maybe other roles, which I didn't really feel that. And, and that's, again, partly maybe where I was in my life at that time as well. But yeah, I mean, just going over to other, other coaches and maybe seeing that it's always, we will always want to go to the highest level of accomplishment and work with, X team or whatever, but if all those things are are not there, uh, I don't think it's as fulfilling as maybe less of a guarded role. But we can be ourselves in that role. We we really feel valued. All of those sort of things are, I think are a lot more fulfilling. Anyway, right now I'll go answer your question a little bit more. <laughs> in this current role, I reckon the experience I, I treasure quite highly. There's two actually, but the the main one was going away with England. to the Commonwealth Games in 2018 in in Australia. The place is cool in itself, but what we did there as a team, I worked with Aaron Singh, the other coach there, and we won three medals, two two bronzes and a gold. And the way that the guys won them was was just really impressive. Uh, And the way that the guys conducted themselves in that competition was just uber impressive. That along with, again, the 2018 Europeans that we went to where I think it's the only comp where I've seen that every every person who went away won a medal. And we're talking about, wow. I think there was nine or 10, ten people competing in that competition. To go away at Europeans and, and, and everybody medal, again, is like pretty impressive. And it, it speaks volumes about all of the team, all of the, the nutritionists, the, the physio, the lifestyle support, everybody. It just speaks to, to volumes about the education work they've done with the guys and, and what we've done a team that's mm. that's really fulfilling
0: what's the Invictus Games because uh they look really really exciting <laughs>
1: yeah the, the Invictus Games is uh, a multi-sport games for injured military veterans so whether they've they've acquired injuries to mentally or physically it's a really powerful vehicle for sports rehabilitation thankfully it's one of those ones that I got involved in 2014 with it and I always, I, I joke with my performance director. He he approached me and said, "Ben, do you want to to take this opportunity? I mean, I think it'd be really good for your development as a coach to be uh, a lead coach, a head coach for powerlifting on it." But I look back and um, I just go, "You?" I said to him, "You just didn't want to do it, did you? You wanted a few weeks off." <laughs> it was such a such a great great opportunity for me to learn as a coach. Definitely grew in that. That experience and I've done yeah I've done done a few now I think next year will be my fifth games in Invictus is it a yearly thing uh,
0: or like to every two years
1: yeah but but every two years normally oh. uh, it depends when again on a sort of an Olympic year often they they spread it out and they might do it every year and a half or two years so depending when major competitions is forward they sort of try to avoid a Commonwealth Games or or on other games so there's no there's no clash there
0: I guess a lot of the athletes are training for both. So they'll be training for the Olympics Games, it can be, Commonwealth yeah. Games, the Olympic Games. Yeah, there's just... I guess you wouldn't want to have anything like that overlapping.
1: Yeah, the schedule is quite mad. Again, talking about 2018, we had like the Europeans and then pretty much, I think it was six weeks later, we had the Commonwealth Games. So we're pretty much back to back. And, and, and even with this, the rearranged Tokyo Games... We got the Paralympics finishes the start of September, and then we're pretty much into our World Champs. So in in November, so a couple of months, eight weeks, nine weeks, then we're straight into the into the World Champs, which is like our, our, our real big milestone event for for UK sport to show that we're what we're made of, the sort of progress that we're making with the squad. So that's that's not only the Paralympic Games is important, but we've got a, a really good opportunity in the World mm. Champs two months later just to show show how much progress we've made
0: have we got a lot of big contenders for the paralympic games
1: yeah so we again we went out to dubai and that was a real dogfight because the last last competition of the of of the qualifying period so basically the way that uh, you qualify a, for a paralympic games is you in your weight class you need to be within the top eight of that weight class so if you're eighth or ninth you've got this weight target that you can hit that you're either beat and then you'll put somebody else out of position or somebody else would beat you and then put you out of contention. We were thankfully We got five out of five athletes that were to qualify for the Games, which is a, mm. a really, really big team for us. We've also got the possibility of two wildcard uh, slots with two of the younger guys who could possibly get wild card entries to the Paralympic Games. So if we get seven, I think that'll be our biggest team ever.
0: Yeah, that's great for the sport for it to really grow more exposure, more people
1: watching? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a sport if you compare it to athletics or swimming or, or, or canoe or whatever you might be. It's a smaller sport compared to those sports. Mm. But for me, it's just really surprising because it's a sport where the, the cost of entry is really low and the availability of equipment. Any commercial gym's got a bench press, right? So if you're, you're a person with an impairment, if you find the sport – you don't have to worry about finding a, an athletics track or or buying an expensive um, racing chair or anything like that. you can just hop on a hop on a bench press and get involved and get better. So that's why I, I really want to drive going forward going forward to Paris is that we just have a load more people in the sport and just keep growing it.
0: What resources are there for people to get involved? We can always put them in the show notes if anyone listening want to get involved. a lot of information there that people can use and really grow the sport.
1: Yeah, I think the first first resources connect with us through the British Weightlifting website. We've also got Instagram, which, to, to be honest, that's where I'm most I do most of my talent mm. and I, I identified a few people on Instagram, sent them a message, "Would you like to try this sport out?" Uh, and they they have, and it's been great for them. Uh, we've also got the High Performance uh, Center in Loughborough. So um, again, if people give us a shout, we can we can start a conversation. Tell them how to get involved, how to do competitions, uh, and then if they're available to come come down there where you can have a look at them and show them the basics of power powerlifting as well if it's if it's appropriate.
0: Right, let's get into to some training. So, power powerlifting is predominantly around the bench press, and then powerlifting you've got the three lifts: bench press, deadlift, and the squat. Now, I'm I'm assuming that the training for the power powerlifting isn't just going to be a third of powerlifting just because they're doing one lift. I'm sure it's a lot more in depth as to what they do. So what what kind of training or programming differences are there between the power powerlifters and the powerlifters?
1: Yeah, I guess because there is that quite specific discipline, the, the bench press, and because your body can recover a lot more readily from just one discipline versus having to to recover from squat volume, deadlift volume and any other things. There's sort of often the amount of volume that we can do on, on specific bench press training can, can be increased. We know anyway, generally the bench press upper body exercise does respond slightly better to higher intensities over blocker training as well. So in terms of frequency of, of the competition specific exercise, we generally want get people to be benching between two and four times a week and that's it's split up into different sessions uh, and obviously we'll be we would be looking at different variations of pressing exercises so whether it's extended range of movement presses partial range range of movement presses different different overhead presses and even super maximal loading bench press will be through through negative type work or even just use of flywheel stuff we also just emphasize a lot on the the other side of it the accessory training so we're looking at strong uh, resilient and robust shoulders strong strong back muscles and also like really robust trunk muscles as well so they can hold position while we we're, we're going to be doing the bench press
0: how much more important is that for the core training just because but with a powerlifting bench press they've got their feet strong on on the ground haven't they and they can utilize that stability to drive force through the body through the chain to then into the into the bar with the bench press whereas because of the the power guys they're lying flat they don't have that they don't have that push down from the legs so does the amount of core or trunk training change or increase because of all the differences in technique here
1: yeah i think so first of all we need to we need to. It might be impairment in individual specific. So, for example, it could be an individual who has amputee, for example, who's a single leg amputee, and he, and he has some problems stabilising uh, alignment of the pelvis. I think that's quite important. And, and and looking looking beyond power powerlifting to quality of life as well. So, a lot of the stuff that we value is: can we do exercises and 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 teach the person how to live a life. Where, where it can allow them to train un- uninterrupted for long periods of time. Often in, in Paralympic sport, there might be underlying medical conditions or situations, which which means they, they might be out of the sport for whatever reason, which is not related to the sport. So part of our job is working with a physiotherapist, working with nutrition, working with all those other areas. Can we make sure that person is healthy enough and can train for, for long periods of time? Un- uninterrupted training to get them strong enough to to be able to compete and and really importantly have a good quality of life as well one of the big things that we, we might have is we might have wheelchair users and um, if we don't train them in a, a holistic and respectful way to keep them injury free and they injure a shoulder then they might not be able to get around in their chair anymore and that's a massive uh, a massive thing that we want to avoid and, and it would definitely impact their, their quality of life. So there's absolutely the, the rationale that we, we train this this ability to stabilise while people press the high loads to the bench press. But I guess more importantly is, can we, can we programme and, and, and give them exercises which increase their, their quality of life as well?
0: Was that one of the aspects of coaching in this sport that was not a shock, but it's something you've learnt a lot As you've gone or or coached over the years. Because I can imagine someone being quite new to the sport, think, right, we're going to work on bench press, we need to just get strong in this area. Then, as you get to know the athletes, you start to see how multifactorial everything is. And all of a sudden, it doesn't become just about getting really strong at the bench press, even though that's the overall goal, because that's the goal of the sport. All of a sudden, you've got to take into account all of these different things. I always think S and C is, especially at the elite level, is trying to make sure that they're on the pitch so they can or on the court or whatever it might be, just uh so they can show why they're the best at the sport. You want to make sure that they keep playing the sport and that's what's going to make them better. And then it kind of ties into a little bit with this. If you just think about the sport, then all of a sudden you might affect something outside of their sport that's then going to indirectly affect their sport. So it's it's so multifactorial. And that's only something you can really develop by working within that environment over many years.
1: Yeah, I, I remember the first time I got involved in, in Paralympic sport was through TAS. And it made me such a, a much more adaptable coach in terms of there's your, your, your basic back squat and you're going to do that. But you might come into contact with a person who, who definitely can't master that movement pattern. Or they they might be an amputee. So you're going to have to think of this whole raft of of single leg stuff. And they might just do an exercise and it just might not feel comfortable for them just based on the way that their body moves. Especially, which was really interesting, working with spinal cord injury athletes who might be, who've just acquired the injury. And you might many, many times we've had to look at actually how they transfer themselves from their chair to another piece of equipment because the way that they're doing they haven't, you know, the NHS hasn't maybe had that time or thought or whatever it is to teach them those new skills. So the way that they're transferring is absolutely hazardous and they're just like just throwing themselves on this on this bench or whatever, which in the long run might might hurt them. So there's these sort of skills where you go, Can I Can I look at that person moving and how they transfer from their chair to a toilet to a bench to whatever and teach them these good athletic skills or good movement skills to go, that's going to have a really long lasting effect, not only just in the sport, but way after because um, we're teaching you to move better.
0: Do you get quite a good longevity in the sport because of making those training decisions?
1: I'd love to say it's it's our our training interventions and our, our, you know, I thought... uh, I think it is. powerlifting's a sport where, as a, as a physical quality, strength does does linger on for a good amount of time. So we're seeing with the, the research that we've done with some of the the male, especially male and female heavyweights in power. powerlifting is they're they're going to sort of still compete at the top level at 45, 46, 47, 48 years old. So some of the guys we've got in the sport now, and they're turning up at 20 years old, it's a, it's a really good journey that you can sell them Going, you could if you take care of yourself if you really uh look after your eating how you look after yourself outside of the sport sleep all of these things you could be around for the next 20 30 years i think that's really exciting because in some some other sports it could be by the age of 29 30 31 okay you're gonna have to start looking at something else uh, and, and it's something which we've We've picked up athletes from other sports who maybe have been on on not where they wanted to be and they've they've seen power powerlifting and, and they've absolutely picked it up and excelled with us.
0: Knowing that, does that change your programming approach? So instead of thinking, okay, they're going to come towards the end of their career at 30, you might make some certain programming or coaching decisions. But now you know that they could be reaching their peak in their late 30s and 40s. You think, okay, we're not going to rush you here. We're actually going to take more time to develop your strength qualities and hit these certain benchmarks over time. You just you've got that ability to then draw it out a bit longer, which will in turn improve their longevity in the sport. But you'd like to think also improve their quality of life.
1: Yeah, it, it's a well, it's double edged sword. I, I think in the UK we've we've got these these quite these expectations from from UK sport from, from all sorts of that. If there's going to be athletes in the sport, they need to show progress and they need to show progress towards a medal zone and, and getting better if they are receiving funding, which is is fair enough. But again, we through the sort of education that we provide with our guys is is definitely based on giving these guys the, the tools and, and the ability to to make good decisions through sleep, through through exercise and nutrition physio. Lifestyle sport, developing themselves outside of the sport as well. So whether it be a career path to continue after the sport, that we can do this. Instinctively, I I feel with the group of athletes that we've got right now that there's going to be athletes who are going to be with us for hopefully the next 15, 20 years because they're they're of that age and we've got a really good cohort who are rapidly getting better in the sport. And, And I guess most importantly that you'd always... You're always going to find athletes who just progress quickly. These these talented athletes that they get by on whatever. But then once they they hit a certain level, they just they just plateau off because they haven't got these skills around how they look after themselves, how they eat, how they sleep, all those things which which don't allow them just to to keep ticking over when it gets tough. I, I believe we're doing the work now to equip these athletes who are who are talented, but also really really inquisitive to learn how to be better and that for me that stems from the education that we do with the guys almost on a on a monthly level where we we're having webinars where we're having all these different things of of how how we can sleep better what the sort of decisions we can make overseas nutritionally and how we look after ourselves from a from a prehab perspective i think that's going to make the difference with this with this cohort of athletes hopefully
0: that's wicked to know that you've got an athlete that has the potential, or group of athletes that has the potential to be training for the next fifteen to twenty years. As a coach, that must just think, right? Okay, let's think big here.
1: <laughs> when we're talking about that question of of coaching accomplishment, I, I'm really, I'm really excited because about a year and a half, well, one no, or two years ago, we we identified this this bunch of athletes, this group of like five or six athletes who we thought had had real good potential and then we set their sort of trajectory in the sport of of how they grow where they would go towards towards Paris 2024 Mm -hmm. so we're in the sort of midway of this journey with this this new bunch of athletes and the remaining athletes in the world class and it feels really exciting and for me selfishly as a coach I think it's a really fulfilling thing where you can go I looked at I I saw this athlete when they were when they're bench pressing 40 kilos 50 kilos and now we've been part of this journey, which allowed them to put on 80, 90 kilos onto the bench press. Mm. And now they're, they're possibly challenging for, for a Paralympic uh, Games medal. I think it's like, it's uber cool. Like, you, I can hopefully be part of this journey with them because that's, that's really fulfilling.
0: I've got this image of you looking down with a, with a tear in your eye as someone bench presses about 100 kilos more than they did like two years ago. It was like uber proud just because of this huge bench press now. And it's like, yeah, that, that's Ben. That is definitely Ben. <laughs> it's, uh,
1: it, it's weird. We're talking about as, as a staff group, we're talking about like the sport is in some ways really so repetitive. It's bench press, right? Mm. So, like, you need to find these little points in time where you can celebrate so whether it's your first uh two plate bench press or whether it's the first time you get gb kit or whether whatever it is because sport in itself can just be this such a big long journey and then before it right something happens and and you're injured or or whatever happens uh and i I just yeah i'm 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 really keen on finding these key moments where you can enjoy the journey and you can just have like these mini points of celebration of like, that was cool, awesome, but then we get back to work.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No, that's wicked. What common mistakes do you see people do when training for the bench press, particularly with power? athletes. You kind of mentioned one earlier regarding not looking after yourself outside of the gym, nutrition, sleep, all that sort of thing. But what other common, I guess, programming mistakes do you see people often making which actually hinders their bench press progress?
1: I guess guess the two main ones are seeing what a very qualified and a very experienced athlete is currently doing and then just trying to copy and paste that. So whether it be some some real big bench specialized training a big one in, in powerlifting is if you want to get be a good bench presser, you're going to copy the, the grip width and the technical model that the Japanese powerlifters do, which are very extreme. It's a very wide bench press, and they're training 14 times a week on bench press. You know and this Uber thing, which is could possibly work for them, but people don't really go into the whys and how they've come across that. So but they just go, Oh, I'm just gonna do that. So they're sort of like in essence not earning the right and not discovering why a certain person might do it like that, or do the amount of intensity, volume that group of individuals are doing, and they're just copy and paste whole wholesale. And because it's such a difference to what they're doing currently, they're probably going to get hurt because it's such a swing in in the other direction. Nine times out of 10, people usually get, get hurt because of that. The other thing, which is slightly related, and I personally, as a, as a young coach, I, I don't think I did this enough, but having an ability, or sorry, I, I should have developed a, a better ability to explore what worked and what didn't work for me through a series or through a training block. So not having the subjective and the objective measures to go to to, at the end of a block go, that wasn't quite what we wanted it to be. So whatever KPI or whatever we wanted to, why didn't my bench press go up? Or, you know, looking really, really more intuitively at at maybe perhaps why something didn't happen. And then in the next block of training, just making a small a small change to see was that sort of variable that we needed to change and learn from to see the the change in the following block definitely something that I was I was um guilty of as an S&C coach was I didn't take into consideration things outside of training which might be responsible for not changing in physical condition so me as an S&C coach would be, oh, it's, it's got to be because that person was squatting four times a week and next time we'd be, bring them down to once a week and that's the reason. Whereas really, they were eating horribly, they weren't sleeping and all of these other and it wasn't how many times a week they were squatting, it was all of these lifestyle factors which we needed to address first and then we can look at the training interventions after that. If you've got the lifestyle stuff pretty much consistent and sorted out. You can make a lot better training intervention choices, which will then give you a more consistent picture of what works for the athlete going forward.
0: That's a really interesting point, actually. The more I've programmed over the years, I guess I used to sort of like, okay, what, what do I want to achieve? What kind of things do I want to put in the program? But now I'm very much just like, okay, when are their working hours? Put in when they work. Mm-hmm. Because that seems to be one of the biggest things that contributes to stress, which affects the program. So if I haven't programmed or taken that into account, whatever I put out there is never going to be optimal for that person. And I think that it's, just, it's just a theme that's getting out into the wider training community, just how much all of those other lifestyle factors actually affect training. And if we don't sort them out, then it doesn't matter what the training is, it's not going to be done to its full potential it's so easy to go oh they didn't achieve that because then you go straight to that but those objective markers straight to the program but then again you could have made a change or done a different program and had the same result because like you said the training or the lifestyle factors are just not on point
1: yeah i i think it's just for us as an snsc coach and me personally communication wise it was a whole lot easier for to change that certain exercise than to have the more difficult conversation of like mate your your sleeping really is appalling if there is things that we want to achieve in this sport sleeping four hours a night uh, and then trying to go into a a heavy important session is, over the long term is just not going to cut it and can we can we have that difficult conversation can we do the the more difficult thing out of the gym and then the, the training decisions become so so much more accurate and so much easier but yeah, I, again, like uh, another key skill for me as a coach, definitely going into this role was, was having difficult, the, the ability to have difficult conversations, the ability to, to talk to somebody of an opposing viewpoint and get, and both of you get what you need to get out of the conversation. I think that like that, that was massive for me just, or even an athlete culturally saying something which is inappropriate and how you as a coach can bring that up and resolve and uh, and make sure like the the cultural sphere in your in your team is is good and appropriate and how to how to approach it if if people are uh, going against that
0: how would someone get into coaching power power lifting because what you described there are a number of skills which are so essential for an SNC coach but it'll be hard to develop them. It's not something you can just read about. It's great that people are, will listen to this podcast and be more aware of them, but you don't really truly understand until you're actually in the environment and coaching within that environment. So if someone is looking into getting to coaching into power powerlifting, what would your recommendations be?
1: Again, I'm gonna dodge the question a bit, but then I'm no gonna go back to
0: it. Sounds good. So me
1: as a coach, so if I'm going back to this sphere of coming out of university back in 2011 or 2012, when it was the, the, the best thing that I did is f- to develop my, my passion for, for high-performance coaching and my development as a coach. The best thing which I, I, I did and i look back on now is, is I, I started to create something for myself, which was working in St. Mary's Power, Powerlifting Club. So creating a, a, and, and coaching through that sphere, something which was, I guess, my own and I could put my own stamp on, I thought that I thought that's really powerful and allowed me to develop as a coach. So there's all sort of different levels of, of how you can do it. Whether again it's like have a podcast and talk to really interesting people and develop your communications skills, whether it's like create something where you you volunteer at an athletics club or you you create resources on strength and condition, whatever it is, I think there's there's so much power inability for you to go out on your own and create something which is is distinctly yours i'm, I'm getting too deep on this now aren't i but yeah
0: no that's a great message
1: yeah.
0: and there's so much software and avenues for people yeah. to be able to do that now
1: yeah and, and that's and, and generally i think when you start to do that you then generally start to find where you really want to be and what you really cherish uh and that's where you you start to get to this level of, of like deep fulfillment in what you're doing and and this passion for that specific area which you're which you're going on onto which you can't really do when you're just going around and just sort of like doing whatever uh, whatever comes to your head but that creation i think really really powerful uh, in terms of power powerlifting i think the sport itself needs needs more clubs uh And it needs more sort of areas for for people to to come and experience the sport. So just from a sort of grassroots level, getting involved in contacting the British weightlifting or myself and say, I've got this area, which I think would be fantastic. And I've got this facilities, which I can use on a weekly basis. I mean, I remember when I first started the the powerlifting club up for St. Mary's, there was this period where I had six months when nobody came. And it was every Wednesday and every Saturday, there was no power power just coming, absolutely none. And it'd be, oh, you know, okay, well, I turned up on a Saturday afternoon for an hour and a half and I just used to train on my own and train with some of you guys and, and whatever. And then suddenly one person came and Then another lifter came, and I think by sort of two years in, we were we we're bringing six, seven, eight people to British Championships, and it was a real good club environment. So give it time, link it to something which you're really interested, in and just create create something, can, and you know that you can enjoy it.
0: Build and they will come. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. And, and if they don't come, you can just train yourself. So you know, win, win. Yeah, we're
0: just fun anyway. <laughs> yeah, Certainly, exactly. There's no losers here. <laughs> and that's really quite. A, that's a lovely message to sort of almost finish up on because, right? We want more clubs. Please, anyone can do it. it. Isn't something that you need loads and loads of qualifications to do. If you're passionate and want to get involved with powerlifting, do it. Start a club. Contact British Weightlifting, like you said, and then from that you can then bring in different athletes. You can start the strand of power powerlifting with it. Like, but just just start a club. Just get people involved, and that's how. The sport grows. That's how the culture grows, uh, and we need to be encouraging that more.
1: Absolutely. Again, I think one of the the unique things about power powerlifting is I think it's a, one of the only only power sports if you compare it to Olympic sports. Where I com- I just did some research just before I came on, but if you compare eight of the world records in power powerlifting with the, the eight in a similar body weight class in powerlifting or the bench press, seven out of those eight weight categories, power powerlifters are stronger than their, their able bodied wow. counterparts. So, like the, the, the ability for you to get stronger, which just makes you more confident, allows you to do things better. It's more difficult to kill. One of those things, and just being addictive for this process of just improving yourself and getting stronger. I think it's like really cool. Uh, I think it's something which people can get really involved in.
0: Yeah, exactly. This has all made me want to go bench. I haven't benched in ages, <laughs> but I might have to <laughs> this afternoon. I'll just build <laughs> one out back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm stuck here for the next eight days. I can <laughs> only do press ups. You know? But
0: yeah. But well, you can lift that bed. Just sort of sleep yeah. yourself underneath it, floor presses.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It somebody would just find me on day like day eight underneath a bed. Just in a mess. <laughs> what, the
0: cleaner comes in and you're sprawled <laughs> underneath it. You haven't left there yeah. for two days.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Anyways, Ben, this has been brilliant. The last question I want to give to you is the question that we give to all of our guests. If you had to pick one guest to come onto the progress theory, who would you choose? Now, this doesn't have to be anyone within power powerlifting. It could be anyone that you just want to
1: hear from. I, I'm going to go same thing along along my theme, and 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 to be honest, I, recently in the last couple of years, there's been some really good thinkers coming out of of three lift powerlifting, and there've been some really good thinkers who think about powerlifting, but also the ability just to get stronger in general. So in, in terms of the, the amount of information programming wise, how to track training, how to progress training, I think there's some really good thinking there. So people like Mike Tashira, Bryce Lewis, the guys from Data Driven Strength, on Instagram, they come up with some really thought provoking ideas. So for, for strength conditioning coaches who are really looking to delve into that, I think they pose some really good questions and answers and ways to inform best practice. So yeah, all interesting guides to uh, get on, mate.
0: Well, I'll have to uh, follow them on Instagram and then send a message out. It sounds like the exact type of topic that we'd want on the Progress Absolutely. Theory. Something that's challenging the, the status quo when it yeah. comes to sports science and training. Cool. Anyways, Ben, how can people contact you if they want to ask you a message or it could be anything about power, powerlifting, that sort of thing?
1: Best, Probably best way to contact me is through Instagram. Uh, my handle's at SFB Training. so yeah contact me through there and I, I can give my my email address to put in the uh, description things like that as well but yeah I'll, I'll do it like the cool kids and, and Instagram me or DM me or whatever it is. <laughs>
0: DM you slide into DMs yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyways Ben that's been brilliant thank you so much and I'll speak to you soon you're
1: welcome thanks mate
0: Thank you to Ben for coming on to The Progress Theory and talking about his work with the GB Power Powerlifting Team. For a sport that is quite simple in nature, it is truly fascinating, and Ben did an amazing job discussing his ideas around training and the differences between the bench press and the power powerlifting bench press. As always, I just wanted to provide some final thoughts on some key areas which really resonated with me in this episode. Firstly, It was the importance of variables outside of the training program which will have such a profound effect on the athlete. Now, as coaches, we spend hours thinking of how to create the most beneficial program that is specific to the athlete. However, if poor lifestyle factors such as lack of sleep, poor food choices, and a lack of water are being followed by an athlete, then the effectiveness of the program will never be realized. Often, it is these lifestyle factors which are more important for an athlete's progress than the program itself. We should be aware of this as coaches and educate our athletes appropriately. Secondly, the importance of training for quality of life. We sometimes get overfocused on programming to improve performance that we forget how that might actually affect the athlete outside of the sport. If we drastically reduce an athlete's quality of life through the training and our programming, it may lead to a situation where the reduced quality of life now negatively affects the training. It can be a vicious circle. This highlights the need for us to be athlete-focused with our programming. Now always think, how is your programming going to improve this athlete at their sport and as a person? Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode. As Ben said, we need more lifting clubs, so get busy and start one. What better way to become better at training by immersing yourself in the right environment that you've created for yourself? Now, it would be awesome if you could leave us a review and share this episode on your Insta story to help grow the show. Also, head to our website, theprogresstheory.com and check out all of our content there. We will see you in the next one.